MSW Media. Thanks to Aura Frames for supporting the show. Aura Frames makes Wi-Fi connected digital frames that beautifully showcase your photos and videos. Aura is having their best deal of the year. Right now through Cyber Monday, you can save $40 on the perfect gift at AuraFrames.com slash Daily Beans with promo code Daily Beans. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. Today, the judge in Fulton County denies the DA's motion to jail Harrison Floyd for violating his bond conditions. An aide for Mayor Eric Adams told colleagues to delete text messages hours after the FBI executed a search warrant. A new Florida bill seeks to restrict the use of pronouns. Details about the U.S. brokered hostage deal between Hamas and Israel come into focus. The plaintiffs have filed their appeal to the Colorado Supreme Court to keep Trump off the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The Senate Judiciary Committee has subpoenaed the CEOs of Twitter, Snap, and Discord. Elon Musk has filed a lawsuit against Media Matters for its report on anti-Semitic posts. Ken Chesbro asks the probation office in Fulton County for permission to travel to Nevada and Arizona for the fraudulent elector cases in those states. And a witness is on the stand in the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial. And he may have admitted that the feds are investigating the Trump organization. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Wow, all sorts of really interesting news today. <laughs> A lot of it. Yeah, um, uh, we're going to go over all of it. We've got some quick hits. Uh, also, later on in the show, I'm going to be talking with former federal prosecutor Shan Wu, Shanlin Wu, about the legal issues of the day. And everybody, I've been invited to the White House holiday reception. So I'm going to be traveling next week, but you will get your beans every day. And I uh, just wanted to let you know, though, that the Daily Beans Patron happy hour scheduled for Friday, December 1st may need to be pushed back an hour or two or maybe even to the following week, but I will keep you posted. But that is because of the travel that I will be experiencing next week. So uh, I can't, by the way, thank you all enough for being here and listening and supporting this show. I wouldn't be able to be invited to the White House without you. That's very true. I mean, I don't have an invitation, so you must be doing something right. <laughs> just, I, and I had to. <laughs> I know. I just, you know, sorry. I <laughs> oh, don't be sorry. I've got connections. I mean, I got a couple of guys. I got a guy who knows a guy. You got a guy. You know a guy. Yeah. You're, you have a really big gala this weekend, don't you? No, I actually have the weekend off. My next gala is December 4th in New York City for a fantastic, it's gonna be a fantastic night. Um, And then uh, that's it until the middle of January. What? That's quite a break, my friend. Yeah, I'm very jealous. Thank you. All right, we have a lot of news to get to, but we have some quick hits first. And to make a long story short, too late. All right, first up, Judge McAfee ruled today that Harrison Floyd's tweets did not rise to the level necessary to revoke his bond and jail him pending the trial in Fulton County. But he did order his bail conditions be modified to clarify what he can and can't post on social media. Fonnie Willis argued the motion herself. She was very emotional and very uh, adamant about this and very angry and protective of potential witnesses, especially Miss Ruby Freeman. And Pete and I will go over the hearing and the modified bail conditions on next week's Cleanup on Aisle 45. 
Thank you, AG. And the Senate Judiciary Committee has issued bipartisan subpoenas to CEOs of Discord, Snap, and X, formerly known as Twitter, demanding that the heads of the three companies testify at a December hearing on protecting children online. Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham announced Monday that they had issued the subpoenas to Discord CEO Jason Citron, Snap CEO Evan Spiegel, and Linda Yaccarino, the CEO of X, formerly, as we know, like I said, Twitter, and I quote, after repeated refusals to appear, by the way, during weeks of negotiations. Yeah, they had to send out the U.S. Marshals for that. Also, during testimony today by Jeff McConney, a former accountant at the Trump Organization, and he was testifying in the New York Attorney General's $250 million civil fraud trial. He said that he'd been subpoenaed. He, well, he started to cry uh, because he just wants to be left alone and have this be over with. Um, so he's very emotional on stand. And then he said he has been subpoenaed by the Southern District of New York two hours before he testified. Now, it's not clear which time he testified that he was referring to, whether it's this time or the deposition or during the Trump org fraud trial against Weisselberg and the Trump organization in the Manhattan District Attorney's case. We don't know which testimony he was referring to, nor do we know whether he meant the New York Attorney General's office or some other agency besides the Southern District of New York. But the Southern District subpoenaed, if, if the Southern District subpoenaed him, that would mean the feds are investigating the Trump org tax fraud. We know in 2022, Tish James referred the tax crimes to the Department of Justice, uh, which is that's the feds, right? Southern District of New York is the feds. New York Attorney General is state. This would be the first public acknowledgement that the feds are involved at all. We'll stay on this case and let you know as details unfold. Thank you. And an aide to Mayor Eric Adams told colleagues to delete text messages just hours after the FBI executed their search warrant in the investigation into whether he took money from the Turkish government. And of course, once we have more details on that story, we'll share them with you. Yeah, uh, deleting text messages is kind of obstruction. good. Yeah, a little, mm. a little bit. Yeah. So er, we'll see. We'll see what happens <laughs> in that case. But he's in a lot of legal trouble. Also, Ken Chesbro has filed a motion in Fulton County to get permission from the probation office there to be able to travel to Nevada and Arizona as needed for the fraudulent elector investigations in those states. As you know, Nevada just opened an investigation into their fraudulent electors, and Arizona has opened one earlier this year, and they have these ongoing probes into their fraudulent electors. Now, it's not clear if Chesbro is a subject, a witness, or a target, or just a just wants to go hang out with his friends. I don't know <laughs> why he doesn't really go into detail here. But it's of note that he has business in those states. And it is related to the investigations. And he needs permission for that travel. So we'll keep that. Uh, we'll keep that story going and alive and keep updating you on it as it happens. All right. We have a lot of other news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up in a Daily Beans exclusive. I got a copy of the plaintiff's appeal in the Colorado 14th Amendment case before it hit the public docket, and I wrote about it on post. So here's my article. I have obtained a copy of the plaintiff's 67-page appeal to the Colorado Supreme Court to keep Trump off the ballot pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution before it hits the docket. As soon as I have a link to the court-stamped copy, I'll provide it, which I have, by the way, on social media. But for now, I wanted to share with you some of the more powerful passages of this appeal. As you likely already know, the court ruled that Trump engaged in an insurrection as defined by Section 3. But the court also found that the president is not an officer of the United States and that the presidential oath to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution 
is not an oath to support the Constitution. Oh, my God. Mm hmm. And uh, the plaintiffs say this holding was reversible error. Now, so you're aware the lower court made a factual finding and a legal finding. The factual finding is that Trump engaged in insurrection. The legal finding is that the president isn't an officer of the U.S. and his oath doesn't say support like the 14th Amendment does. Factual findings, the insurrection one, those are tough to overturn. But legal findings are more easily reversible. Hence, the this holding was reversible error. So that's what the plaintiffs are arguing here. The stated issue now before the Colorado Supreme Court is, did the district court commit reversible error in ruling that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which disqualifies people who engaged in insurrections against the Constitution after taking an oath to support the Constitution, does not apply to presidents who engage in insurrection or to insurrectionists wanting to be president? <laughs> like, how is that possible? They go on to say, the court held that Section 3's disqualification rule does not apply to insurrectionist former presidents, nor to any insurrectionists running for president, in effect, that this office alone is above the law. And that's such a fundamental part of the appeal. It goes, it's got to be hard to issue a ruling that puts a president above the law. And not only does it defy the text of the 14th Amendment, it defies basic common sense. Mm -hmm. Here's another passage from, from the, the appeal. As for common sense, there would be no reason to allow presidents who lead an insurrection to serve again while preventing lower-level government workers who act as foot soldiers from doing so. And it would also defy logic to prohibit insurrectionists from holding every federal or state office except for the highest and most powerful in the land. Section 3 does not say that. The framers did not intend that. Trump is disqualified from holding office again. Now, after that, the plaintiffs outlined their evidence, including, number one, the presidency is an office of the United States, citing consensus at the time was that Jefferson Davis was ineligible to be president because of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Number two, the president is an officer of the United States. Number three, the presidential oath is an oath to support the Constitution, specifically citing the dictionary, saying the dictionary definition <laughs> of defend is to support. <laughs> And a federal circuit judge in 1870 said an oath to support the Constitution need not use those specific words, but merely has to convey substantially the same meaning. Simply put, quote, oath-breaking insurrectionists may not assume the office of the presidency, unquote. <laughs> I, I cannot wait to see what happens with this case. I really... I know it's going to be an uphill battle, but could you imagine? Oh, it would be so good. Yep. All right. This is from CNN. After a devastating advisor exodus last week involving some of the world's largest media companies, uh, Twitter, because I hate X, I just hate it. Twitter owner Elon Musk is suing the progressive watchdog group Media Matters over its analysis highlighting anti-Semitic and pro-Nazi content on X, fine, I'll say it. A report that appeared, by the way, to play a significant role in the massive and highly damaging brand revolt. Now, the lawsuit filed Monday accused Media Matters of distorting how likely it is for ads to appear beside extremist content on X, alleging that the group's testing methodology was not representative of how real users experience the site. And I quote, Media Matters knowingly and maliciously manufactured side-by-side -side images depicting advertisers' posts on X Corp's social media platform beside neo-Nazi and white nationalist fringe content, fringe bullshit, content, and then portrayed these manufactured images as if they were what typical X users experience on the platform. 
the complaint filed in the U.S. District Court of the uh, Northern District of Texas. That's what it said. And went on to say, Media Matters designed both these images and its resulting media strategy to drive advertisers from the platform and destroy X Corp. Well, the lawsuit makes the latest example of Musk's favored response to his critics and seeks to direct blame, of course, for the advertiser backlash onto third-party groups after Musk, in the same week, publicly endorsed the anti-Semitic claim, as we talked about, that Jewish communities push hatred against whites. Now, the lawsuit simultaneously names Media Matters and Eric Hananoki, Hananoki, its senior investigative reporter, as defendants. It's called for a judicial order forcing Media Matters to remove its analysis from its website and accuses Media Matters of interfering with excess contracts and advertisers of disrupting their economic relationships and of unlawful disparaging X. Okay. Yep. In a statement Monday evening, Media Matters president Angelo Carusone vowed to defend the group against the suit. Uh, Carusone. I'm going to correct myself. Carusone. Now, he said, this is a frivolous lawsuit meant to bully excess critics into silence. It went on to say Media Matter stands behind its reporting and looks forward to winning in court. In previewing X's argument, Musk appeared not to dispute the results of Media Matters' analysis, instead targeting the group for having created a test account and allegedly refreshing the account until X's advertising systems ran an ad for a major brand beside extremist content. Now, the result generated by the test would almost never happen in the real world. That's what Musk's complaint alleged. The fact that he's also admitting that there's extremist fucking content on his site is mind-blowing yeah. to me, yeah. by the way. Linda Yaccarino did it, too. She's like, yeah. oh, come on. The Nazi posts don't show up next to these advertisers. Like, yeah. the what? Yeah. The w- <laughs> I'm sorry, the who? The huh? Legal experts on technology and the First Amendment, they widely characterized X's complaint on Monday as weak and opportunistically filed in court that Musk likely believes will take his side. This is a quote. This reads like a press release, not a court filing to me. This is from Joan Donovan, she's a professor of journalism and emerging media studies at Boston University. She said X does admit the ads were shown next to hateful content, but argues it was rare. This is the same strategy employed by the advertisers that got YouTube to de- uh, demonetize political content in 2017, end quote. One legal expert said the lawsuit could backfire. Ready? This lawsuit is riddled with legal flaws and is highly ironic that a platform that touts itself as a beacon of free speech would file a bogus case like this that flatly contradicts basic First Amendment principles and targets free speech by a critic. First Amendment attorney Ted uh, Boutros, that's what he told CNN. He went on to say, and in some ways, it's a dream come true for the people at Media Matters because it could allow them to use the litigation discovery process to force X to divulge all sorts of embarrassing, damaging private information that it would rather keep secret. <laughs> I know. Monday's case has been assigned to District Judge Mark Pittman, happens to be a Donald Trump appointee, who has previously been at the center of some of the nation's biggest legal battles. Last November, Pittman blocked President Joe Biden's plan to forgive up to $20,000 in student loan debt, one of two such decisions to reach the Supreme Court. So he's a big douchebag. So he's, we'll see what he does here. Yeah, and they judge shopped for this guy. Oh, for specifically. sure. Specifically, yeah. Also, this is from CNN. Israel, Hamas, and the U.S. are on the cusp of reaching that deal we talked about yesterday that could be announced as soon as Tuesday. Still haven't heard it um, yet as as far as, you know, the the time we recorded this show. 
But uh, this is for Hamas to release 50 women and children hostages that they took during the October 7th terror attack on Israel in exchange for a four to five day pause in fighting and three Palestinian prisoners in Israeli prisons for every hostage released. That's according to the sources familiar with the negotiations. The deal could be announced, as I said, as soon as Tuesday, but we still haven't heard it yet. Two Israeli sources uh, told U.S. officials that and U.S. officials close to the negotiations stressed that while the deal is not done, they're increasingly optimistic and they believe the, the many weeks of difficult work is about to pay off with a big hostage release. It's very close. That is what a senior U.S. official told CNN. Israel's war cabinet met Tuesday evening, local time, followed by a meeting on the security cabinet. A full cabinet meeting will take place after the security cabinet meeting ends. That's according to the office of the prime minister. As we know, that's Bibi Netanyahu. An agreement would prompt the first sustained pause in fighting and major de-escalatory step from Israel since the war began. The hostages to be released are of various nationalities, according to the person familiar, who said the Americans are hoping one of them will be three-year-old toddler Abigail Eden, the youngest American hostage, whose parents were killed by Hamas. It was not immediately clear how many more, if any, American citizens would be among the 50 hostages that Hamas would initially release under the deal. The hostages that Hamas offered for initial release are alive, according to the group, and that's according to a source familiar with the talks. The Israeli government aims for at least 50 hostages to be released as part of the deal. Uh, That's 10 per day for five days. And that's according to an Israeli government source talking to CNN. The government would be prepared to extend the deal if Hamas is prepared to release more hostages. Hamas has initially demanded that Israel's overhead surveillance be stopped for the duration of the multi-day pause in fighting. During the course of the negotiations, the parties settled on surveillance drones vacating Gaza's airspace for part of each day. That six-hour window is when Hamas would be expected to try to move the hostages out without giving up their locations. The deal would come after weeks of painstaking negotiations between Israel, Hamas, and the U.S., with Qatar playing a major mediating role. The implementation of the agreement would not begin immediately and could take at least a day to start, according to the person familiar, in part because there are legal procedures that Israel must follow before releasing any Palestinian prisoners. Those prisoners are expected to be women and adolescents. The release of the prisoners needs to be approved by the Israeli government, but isn't expected to be an obstacle, according to the source. As cabinet officials met inside the Israeli Defense Building to discuss the deal, families of the hostages gathered outside with banners and drums. Thank you so much for that, A.G. This last story in this block is from CBS News. In what could fuel a new round of legislative battles about gender identity, a House Republican on Tuesday filed a fucking bill that would place restrictions on government agencies in the use of personal pronouns. Now, the bill, filed by Rep. Ryan Chamberlain, who is a Republican in Bellevue, for the 2024 legislative session, it also would restrict workplace training about issues involving sexual orientation and gender identity. I'm so fucking over this, by the way. Mirroring parts of a law that the Republican-controlled legislature passed this spring about gender identity issues in the education system, the bill says it's, and I quote, the policy of the state that a person's sex is an immutable biological trait, and that is, it is false to ascribe to a person a pronoun that does not correspond in such person's sex. I have a lot to say about this. I'll interject at the end. It would prevent state and local government agencies from requiring employees and contractors to refer to other people, and I quote, using that person's preferred personal title or pronouns if such personal title or pronouns do not correspond to that person's sex as determined at birth. 
The bill would prevent employees of government agencies and contractors from providing to their employers preferred pronouns that do not correspond to his or her sex and would prevent employers from asking workers to provide personal pronouns. Employees or contractors could pursue violations through complaints to the Florida Commission on Human Relations. And this is a quote, it's unlawful employment practice for an employer to take adverse personal action against an employee or a contractor because of the employee's or contractor's deeply held religious or biology-based beliefs, including a belief in traditional or biblical views of sexuality and marriage, or the employee's or contractor's disagreement with gender ideology, whether those views are expressed by the employee or contractor at or away from the work site. That's the bill. That's what it says which is no fucking separation between church and state, first of all. Now, along the personal pronouns issue, the bill would prevent nonprofit organizations or employers that get money from the state from requiring workers to take part in training, instruction, or other activity on sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. Now, the 2024 session will start January 9th. Rep. Anna Escamani, who's a Democrat in Orlando, immediately blasted the proposal Tuesday, in part calling it highly unconstitutional, and saying it would apply to nonprofit organizations such as the LGBTQ advocacy group Equality Florida, which it would. And this is a quote, Florida Republicans just filed legislation that would essentially ban gender pronouns in private businesses and prohibit trainings about pronouns in nonprofits too. That's what Escamani wrote on Twitter, formerly yeah, on Twitter, and then ended with would basically ban Equality Florida from existing. It's insane. This whole fucking thing is insane. But unfortunately, the Florida legislature is Republican led. This thing could actually get passed. But then what's going to happen is the ACLU is going to take this fucking thing to court and they're going to lose. Well, the ACLU will win. That's what I mean. The Florida is yeah. going to lose. The ACLU is going to win this case. Like it, it. But what it does is it just it really wreaks havoc. That's not the point. Yeah. The, the point is to kind of create uh, an environment in the state where you feel like the state wants to erase your existence. I know that yeah, it's exactly what it is. I'm just so over this shit, especially for the community, my community. Now they're talking about if someone doesn't have a belief with marriage, like they're putting all of this wording in that has zero to do with pronouns, which should scare a lot of people that if Florida, it decides that they can pass this fucking bill you know what I'm talking about with pronouns and everything else, but put this marriage language into it. Yeah. It's going to start at the snowball effect to people. Now they don't have to uh, acknowledge same sex marriage in Florida and certain laws. Like it's absurd. The whole fucking thing's absurd. I know I'm saying fuck a lot. I'm so annoyed with these people. And it's going to cause violence. And here's the, th how do you even fucking enforce this? Seriously. How do you, how do you even say, well, Jennifer wants to be called she, her, but I don't think she was born a woman. Like, how do you even, Yep. Inf what is the enforcement mechanism? Also, the language in it is jacked up. And that's part of the problem. Sex is different than gender, period. So if you're talking yeah. about sex and you're talking about pronouns, it's a whole different conversation than talking about gender and pronouns. That That's where I get also caught up on it immediately. And these people, these guys that are writing the bills don't know the fucking difference. No, they, they certainly don't know the difference. And yeah, this is um, uh, uh, right along. It mirrors the don't say gay bill. Um, and this is what they want to do with their time uh, and with your taxpayer dollars. So we will keep monitoring uh, this case. Obviously, like you said, if this somehow gets passed into law, which, like you said, they have a Republican legislature, I'm sure it will be immediate lawsuits. 
and we will follow those cases. Um, most of the courts are coming back saying that this type of thing is unconstitutional. So um, we will follow it for you. Um, and this kind of thing is just going to keep happening because the cruelty is the point. All right. Uh, we have to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back with Shan Wu to discuss the legal topics of the day, and then we'll be back with the good news. We really need your good news, so send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. It's really easy to miss your distant loved ones during the holidays, but luckily, Aura Digital Frames makes it feel like they are right there with you, home again. This easy-to-use Wi-Fi-connected frame transforms how we keep and share treasured memories. It comes with a high-resolution display, which makes your photos look like real prints in frames. It offers a unique and personal connection to the people you care about by making it simple and fun to share your photos with friends and family from all over. What sets Aura apart? You get unlimited secure storage. Unlimited! Allowing family and friends to upload countless memories through Aura's app, and each frame arrives in a premium, unpriced gift box, making it an ideal gift for any occasion. Aura Frames has also been named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and The Strategist. Plus, it was selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, so you know it's a great value that you'll treasure for years to come. During the holidays, I miss one of my oldest friends who now lives across the pond, but we've been able to stay connected using Aura Frames. And I gotta say, it's, it can be quite funny, too, because you can upload videos. And it has brightened our lives in a way that occasional phone and video calls just doesn't compete with. Uh, I've got an ugly sweater party happening at my place next month. I can't wait to fill her aura frame with all the fun and hilarious snapshots of the outrageous sweaters I've got picked out. It'll be a, a very playful and joyful way to keep our holiday spirits high while we're so far apart. Aura is having their best deal of the year right now through Cyber Monday. You can save $40 on the perfect gift at AuraFrames.com slash Daily Beans with promo code Daily Beans. That's $40 off their best-selling frames by going to AuraFrames, A-U-R-A-F-R-A-M-E-S dot com slash Daily Beans and using promo code Daily Beans. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Happy to be joined today by my friend, former federal prosecutor and legal analyst, Shanlin Wu. Hi, Shan. How are you? Hi. How are you? Good to see you. It's good to see you, my friend. I, I, I had a couple questions today about what's going on in Fulton County. We know DA Fonnie Willis and the, and the district attorney's office has filed a motion to revoke the bond of Harrison Floyd. Harrison Floyd, of course, participated in the spoke of the hub and spoke racketeering criminal enterprise of intimidating Ruby Freeman, an election worker. And uh, he is now basically there's a hearing today with Judge McAfee about whether or not to revoke his bail. And we also know D.A. Fonnie Willis has requested a trial date of August of next year. So if his bail is revoked, he could be in jail for quite a long time. I wanted to get your input on this because this is the first time that a prosecutor in a, tr a case that involves Donald Trump is requesting that bail or bond be revoked and that the person be remanded. Uh, pending trial. But she didn't do it for Donald Trump. She only did it so far for Harrison Floyd. And in my personal opinion, uh, uh, the things that Donald Trump has been posting uh, seem like at least as bad <laughs> as what right. as what Harrison Floyd's been posting. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's uh, indicative generally of the way, I, I wouldn't say kids' gloves approach, but there's been this tendency to bend over backwards uh, on behalf of Trump to make sure that prosecutors and judges feel like they're really showing that they're being extra 
impartial. <laughs> and I think here what you're seeing is for a smaller type player who does not have anything resembling the influence or platform of Trump, prosecutors willing to act in a more normal manner. Uh, you and I were talking about the fact that there aren't specific threats. It's not like a, I'm going to kill you if you testify kind of witness intimidation. But the manner tagging them in the social media, the images, it's very, very similar, if not identical, to the kinds of things that Trump is saying in a variety of his cases. So I think it just shows that the system, meaning prosecutors, courts, we'll see what the court does, more willing to call that out, more willing to enforce it in the traditional manner uh, when it's not a very big, powerful person um, like Trump. And I don't think they're trying to be biased in favor of Trump. I just think it's a kind of an institutional mindset that they're very worried about how they look when they're going after somebody who was that influential and used to hold that office. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to hear them in, in all the jurisdictions continually argue that Trump shouldn't be above the law, but to also bend over backwards, as you said, to uh, to sh to basically not want to get into a First Amendment fight with somebody who's running for president of the United States. Um, another question for you, because you're a former federal prosecutor and you're going to know better than me. Can a judge or a court sua sponte revoke bail? I mean, I, I haven't really seen that happen. And, and generally, it seems like the prosecutor needs to file a motion to revoke bail. But, you know, I'm thinking of specifically the gag order on appeal in the D.C. case with Judge Chutkin. They're kind of arguing over this narrowed how narrowly tailored the uh, the gag order is and that that perhaps the appeals court seems like and we haven't we don't have their decision yet but they that they might reinstate the gag order but maybe more you know tailor it more narrowly when most gag orders are total and aren't tailored narrowly uh, so it seems like an odd argument to have but if judge chuck can wanted could she just sue it like of her own accord unilaterally revoke bail. And I'm not talking about gag order stuff. I'm just talking about bail violations. Yeah, I believe procedurally she can do that because the conditions set by pretrial release, the probation department, really that's functioning as an arm of the court there. So if the judge were to determine that there was a violation of those conditions, it would be within the court's power to revoke it without the prosecution having to take action to move for that. Uh, in reality, though, I've, I've never seen that done because almost always the prosecution lines up with the court, you know, wanting to enforce the conditions or they're finding that something has happened with witness intimidation. But as a matter of her authority, I, I think she would have the ability to, to do that. Yeah, because we saw down in Florida when Donald Trump was arraigned in the Mar-a-Lago documents case where he's been charged with under, you know, laws under the Espionage Act and obstructing justice. The judge actually recommended some bail conditions that the Department of Justice wasn't recommending. Namely, let's give, you know, let's not allow these witnesses to talk about the case and give us a list of witnesses that you don't want communicating. And the DOJ didn't propose that. The judge proposed that. And the DOJ was like, oh, OK, well, if your honor is proposing it, sure, we would love those conditions. That'd be right. great. <laughs> and so it feels to me like at least Jack Smith specifically or the special counsel's office is not want to file a motion for revoking bail 
uh, for Donald Trump in the DC case or, or, you know, anything like that, because he seems to really be avoiding uh, that that 1A fight. And he, you know, he he's avoiding the First Amendment fight in his actual indictment in DC by not charging insurrection or seditious conspiracy and only charging the obstructing uh, an official proceeding conspiracy to obstruct defraud in the United States. Uh, and of course, 241 conspiracy against rights. He seems to be avoiding these First Amendment questions altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I mean, yes, that, that's such an interesting strategic <laughs> point. And, and history is going to tell us if it was a brilliant strategy or or not, I, I I personally feel like um, it makes a lot of sense strategically, particularly the speed under which they felt they needed to work. And obviously, they were concerned that jumping into the First Amendment fight might create even further delays with some sort of pre-litigation. The very rare site of the interlocutory appeal and in the criminal case going on. Um, I do think, though, that the spillover of that onto the restriction on speech, the so-called gag order, I think that's an overbroad version of what's happening here, because it's really interesting. When you think about First Amendment issues and criminal cases, it's usually what he was trying to avoid, which is what was said is the crime itself. That's not the situation in the gag orders. And his his claim there is kind of off to the side, which is I ought to be able to talk and say all sorts of terrible things about witnesses in the case. As because I'm allowed to speak, I'm campaigning. You're not saying that that's what he's charged with, and he has a First Amendment defense to it. It's really about his behavior outside the courtroom. And to me, I, I honestly think that people are too concerned about that. I mean, where is the harm in terms of the constitutional injury to Trump for restricting this First Amendment speech during this limited time, limited subject? It can be remedied later. He can talk as much as he wants. What can't be remedied later is any violence that occurs, any intimidation, any adverse effect on the trial. That can't be remedied later. So that's why I feel like they are taking an overly broad, overly cautious view towards the First Amendment issues. In the media, we constantly hear, well, you have to balance it against this First Amendment. Right. So like, yeah, sure, you have to balance it. But that's not exactly the right situation to be looking at. It's really not a First Amendment defense to his actions. It's talking about his actions outside the courtroom. I think that's an important distinction. Yeah. First Amendment always gives way to the right the public has and the defendants have to a fair, speedy trial. Um, And, you know, so uh, one last question before I let you go. I'm going to I'm going to throw a theory out there and I want you to tell me if I'm way off base, because we haven't seen any indictments of anyone else in D.C. besides Donald Trump by the special counsel's office. Now, I've talked to Andy McCabe about this and, uh, you know, Pete Strzok uh, on the on the Jack podcast. And we are of the mind kind of that perhaps he's waiting to get through the Trump prosecution before he indicts everybody else, because if he indicts the unindicted co-conspirators now, uh, they could, I don't know, make motions to consolidate the case or somehow slow this case down. Is that possible, first of all? Um, and is it a, a reasonable concern? Is it something that prosecutors consider? Because I think Andy called them mop-up cases. Yeah, we do that after so we can get the main 
the main guy and then we mop up everybody else at the end. That, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's very much um, an analogy to the organized crime types of approach where you get the main person and then, as Andy is saying, you, you mop up the rest. Um, I think there are some drawbacks to doing it that way strategically, mostly because the mop up people get to blame the main person. I mean, you know, we're just like these small players got wrapped up in it. You already got the main guy, and there's a lot of jury nullification issues with that. I think. The biggest reason for why Smith's doing it that way is it's all built for speed in, in the DC case. I mean, he was laboring under this enormous problem of if there's if we get too close to the election, who knows what happens? If he's elected, everything's over. So they really built everything for speed on that. I think in a normal situation here, you wouldn't have to do the mop up, but it absolutely would have been impossible to indict all those other folks in terms of the speed factor i mean the delay involved with all those different uh, defendants having their motions their discovery there's you wouldn't even have gotten close <laughs> um to having the, the trial uh, before the election and he wouldn't have been able to keep them separate would he have um maybe he could have <laughs> as a defense lawyer i would have been whichever way is worse for the government government wants to keep us together i want to sever <laughs> government wants to separate i want to be joined <laughs> and so all of that would just chew up legitimately would chew up enormous amounts of time it's not just like you know you're coming up with you know nonsense to delay the case i mean it would just be logistically very very time consuming all right all right thank you so much i appreciate your time everybody you need to follow shan Wu on social media uh wherever you uh, wherever you uh consume your social media these days <laughs> uh and uh and i appreciate your time today thank you so much oh sure thing happy to do it everybody stick around we'll be right back everybody welcome back it's time for the good news Good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, which I know we're going to have a lot of today, especially on pronunciations of certain dog breeds, or if you have a shout out to a spouse or a loved one or a small business in your area or your small business or your big business, whatever you're doing, I want to hear about it. I want to hear your theses, titles, dissertation titles. I know Dana wants baby pictures. Yes, please. I like frog orgies, bird pictures. What happens? You turn 50, all of a sudden... You're like, is that a yellow warbling tit over there? Oh, my God. And you have binoculars now. I do. Uh, if you I'm, want to I'm, not, I'm supposed to not say anything about the bird you just made up. Yeah, you're not. Just kidding. But 50 and it snaps on the bird watching gene. I don't yeah. know. It's, it comes out of nowhere. If there's more than one yellow warbling tit, <laughs> are, those, are those titties? Are they warbling titties? <laughs> I think that's a fair question. And I know oh. someone out there was thinking it. It's probably my friend Elizabeth. I bet she was thinking that. <laughs> well, they have blue-footed boobies, so why not? Yeah, exactly. T yellow, yellow warbling, warbling titties. titties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, send it to us. Send us your titties at <laughs> dailybeanspot.com and click on contact. Ah, first up. Okay. I'm so glad you got the submission. Ah, uh, yeah, I know you are. So many listeners sent in help with the pronunciation of It's like, yo, no, Costi. What's that old musical by Philip Glass? I can't remember. <laughs> I have anyway. no idea. 
Here's a very thorough explanation from Gary, pronouns he and him. Greetings, Paul's pals. Beans are in the pulse category of vegetables. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Me either. Isn't it also a legume and not a, a legume? vegetable? I, you, are legumes maybe, vegetables? Maybe. I have so much to learn. Keep going. I know, but we're here to pronounce this dog right now. So we'll get into vegetables and legumes and pulses Fair. a little bit later. I've started listening to the Daily Beans every morning, mainly for news and commentary. But also someone, sorry, I, someone has already put an email together for us, by the way, <laughs> but before you even got to that second, that next sentence. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but, but also because I like the sound of your voices. Now about that interesting Mexican dog breed. It's, <laughs> but also written and easier to read as two words. Holo, it's quintly. Mm-mm, still hard. You will also find other variations and spellings if you read so much about this dog. To pronounce it, break it into syllables. X-O-L-O. Is it holo? Oh, sholo. Yep. Eats quaintly. Okay. Sholo eats quaintly. The first syllable of sholo and the second syllable eats quaintly are stressed. Sholo eats quaintly. <laughs> So you're right that the X in Spanish is generally pronounced somewhat like a guttural H. Okay. But in words of indigenous Mexican origin, like this one, X is often pronounced more like the English SH. Z in Spanish and Mexican words is pronounced like the S in snake. Sholo eats queensly. He's going to keep making me say it. <laughs> is the name from <laughs> Nahuatl, the language of the Aztecs. Sholo is the Aztec god of lightning and death. And eats quinsley means dog. <laughs> so this breed is the dog under the patronage of the god Sholo. Okay, sorry. Sorry I'm being pedantic. But anyway, I hope this clears something up. I enjoy hearing AG and DG pronounce words, and I appreciate your humility about how you pronounce them. Yeah, this one <laughs> humiliated me. For pet tax, I can't show you all our rescue cats, but because my wife and I currently have nine. Wow. Maybelline, Calypso, Stripe, Melvin, Oleander, Boston, Somerville, Cambridge, and Encyclopedia Brown Boy Detective. <laughs> <laughs> but I submit three recent photos. First, Oleander, enjoying the space on top of a door. Second, Boston with her two kittens, Somerville and Cambridge. Oh, we're a multi-generational household. Okay. Third, a more recent shot of Somerville and Cambridge. All these cats are rescues. So if you want to guess their breeds, you are automatically correct, as far as I'm concerned. Somerville and Cambridge are about four months old and available for adoption, but they're very closely bonded to each other, so I want them to stay together in a new home. Oh, my God. Okay. <gasps> Look at the kittens in the second photo. <gasps> Hello, little stripey babies. Oh, they're beautiful. The markings on these cats are gorgeous. They are. I'm they sorry so I was soft. laughing so hard, but do you have any idea how many brain cells would have died if I had to try the submission? <laughs> Uh, yeah it's uh oh look at the last picture look at the man cat face in front so good adorable adorable thank you for that thank you for the correction and let's have a conversation later about legumes um what do they say vegetables and pulse pulse Pulse, category of vegetables okay um this is from anna marie pronoun she and her also shared the correction by the way the pronunciation (laughs) added (laughs) 
Here we go. At least you got the hard part. I'm so excited that I have a correction because I've never sent one into before. I'm a Spanish teacher, as you may remember from my previous good news submission last spring when I got my dream job. I love that you can both laugh at your mistakes and invite us to share cool facts with Beans community. Keep doing what you do. Love you both. Shout outs to Teresa, pronounced she and her, for your help. And thank you, Karina, pronounced she and her, who are two rescue sisters, Brownie and Oreo. Look at those. I love it. Sweet babies. Of course, yeah, they didn't put the words in that one for you. No, okay. I got I got off easy this time. Sometimes you guys set me up, but so I feel okay with this. Sholo, it's Quintly. I even oh. know the producers sometimes rearrange the submissions just to <laughs> all get some of the pronunciations. He does that. Yes, yeah, he does. I love him. He's got a good sense of humor. Yes, he does. Next up from Sarah, no pronouns. Added that Nahuatl is spoken over by... Ha- okay, now I got to go <laughs> scroll back up and look at the pronunciation key for Nahuatl. Okay, back down to this one. Added that Nahuatl is still spoken by over one and a half million people. Your attempts to pronounce those words make me giggle. As <laughs> someone who mostly learned the vocabulary from reading books, I've definitely been there. So thank you so much for what you do. Here are pictures of my tuxedo boy nibbler the podcast listener, and his torty sister, Leela, who isn't as interested in the news, enjoying a sunbeam on the stairs in our house. Yes, they're named after the characters from Futurama, I was going to say, which we thought was absolutely necessary when we found out we were adopting a kitten with only one eye. I would ask you to identify what kind of cats, but they're random short-haired mutt cats from a feral colony in West Virginia. That sounds like a song. (laughs) (laughs) random short-haired mutt cats from a feral colony in West Virginia. All right, where they were picked up as tiny babies. Look at the sweets. Definitely played on a ukulele. Yes. They are very cute. They are adorable. All right. Oh, my God. Here we go. Okay, I'm going to have to scroll back up, too. This is from Blythe Pronoun. Now I know the producers are fucking with us. This is from Blythe Pronoun. She and her. Let us know how to pronounce. I got to scroll back up. Hold on. Uh... Sholo eats quaintly. Okay, Sholo eats quaintly. And we're back at it. And share a shout out and pet tax. Here we go. Shout out to me. Deep breath. I went on a medical leave in June to address my depression and anxiety. I'm in therapy and I've also gotten sober. Congratulations, Blythe. Turns out self-medicating doesn't work so well. Not so good news is I was fired from my job while on leave, but I'm sure that will turn out to be a blessing in disguise. It was time to put myself and my mental health front and center. Hell yeah, I'm very proud of you, Blythe. For pet tax, this is my Petey boy. He'll be three next month. When he was born, his mama overcleaned his little back paws until they were until there were none. He miraculously grew back one big pad on each of his back feet. And let me tell you, nothing slows him down. He's a no. ball of energy and a big love bug. He's beautiful. He really is. He's a gorgeous dog. Oh, what a sweetie. Looks like part boxer. I know we're not guessing, but he's adorbs. Very cute. And congratulations, Blythe. Seriously. All right. Another pronunciation correction. Anonymous. Pronouns she and her. Just a minor correction. Uh, Mike Lee's name is usually pronounced fuck Mike Lee, at least in the blue areas of the state. (laughs) In Utah. So good. (laughs) That's the kind of pronunciation I can get behind, my friends. I love it. I love it. I love it. What a funny post. You're funny, Anonymous. That's funny. All your funny today. 
Oh, man. My brain hurts. (laughs) Our producer mm, is fucking with us for sure. But that's fun. I love it. Thank you so much. And everybody, keep sending in your good news. Dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here for the day, my friend? I do not. My brain is very tired. My brain is also tired. But there is a new episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45 out today. It is probably one of the most difficult and complex episodes I have ever written in my life. I know you're going to enjoy it. We get some nice swears out of Pete. Um, So you want to join me and Pete Strzok. It's out today. It's free wherever you get your podcasts. Clean up on L45. All right, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And take your family with you. Yeah, all your family. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis' first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.